Welcome to It's Mercedes, honest conversations for freedom-minded women. I'm your host, Mercedes, founder of Libertas Sisters, and every episode I invite a guest to discuss topics such as femininity, relationships, the culture war, self-reliance, politics, and freedom, and let's be honest, whatever else I'm in the mood for. So pop in those headphones, pour yourself a beverage, and settle in. Let's get this episode started. Today, I want to welcome Joanne. She is the host of the podcast Road to Carnivore, where she shares her journey of venturing into carnivore diet. And we're going to kind of touch on her experience in the carnivore diet, why she decided to take it on, and any kind of little rabbit trails that we decide to go into. So I'm very excited to have you here. Also, we've known each other for a while, so this (laughs) makes it everything a lot more comfortable, pretty easy. You know what I mean? Yep, yep. (laughs) So I want you, maybe if you can just start everyone off with a brief introduction and uh, this introduction also into why you chose to experiment initially with the carnivore diet. Sure. So my name is Joanne Ozug. I am a meat evangelist, carnivore, and creator of the Road to Carnivore podcast. Um, And I never, ever thought I'd be doing this. Um, carnivore sort of found me. I wasn't really looking for it necessarily, but I was in a great state of desperation with my health. I had severe digestive bleeding that I could not resolve. And I, my only remaining option was surgery. And I really didn't want to do that because I was nursing my baby at the time. And the anesthesia would have required me to wean and stop doing that. And I came across a video Um, on YouTube, I think about carnivore. And I don't, I mean, don't know why I clicked on it, but I did. Um, And it was interesting because at the time I I wasn't fully plant-based, but I was pretty close. I had really, I think you probably noticed this in our industry, but food has become very um, trending toward plant-based and that sort of health narrative in food. And I had really bought into that at that point. Yeah. There was a time that there was a big like meatless Monday because we, a full disclosure, like our previous lives, we were both, or guests still are, I don't know. Sometimes (laughs) I'm like, how do I identify Um, food bloggers? We both had food blogs. We still have food blogs and stuff like that out in the ether. So you're just kind of like making all kinds of stuff. And then there was a time I remember that there was a big push of like hashtag meatless Monday. Yeah. Um, And that was when I started noticing that whole plant-based promotion starting up. Right. So, so, you know, watching (laughs) this carnivore video, like no plants at all is like, what kind of lunacy is this? But I had nothing to lose. It also kind of made sense to me. And so I decided to try it. And within three days, my digestive bleeding was completely gone. Oh, wow. Um, That quickly. three days. It was, it was mind blowing along with like my chronic acid reflux that I'd battled with my whole life and constipation and just, just a slew of other things. Um, and then two weeks into carnivore, I fell off the wagon, not on purpose, but I went to a birthday party and had some cake and the bleeding started right back. And so I decided that day, I'm going to double down on this. I'm going to do this for at least a couple months. And the thing that was so incredible about that experiment. Well, there's a few things. So first of all, for the four years prior to doing carnivore, I had dabbled in paleo, keto, Atkins, whole 30. Yeah. So, so many things, you know, I've, I've been 
trying to resolve so many health issues that I've had for, for my, for my whole life and never, never really giving up hope. Like, Oh, maybe this diet's the thing. Like, well, quick question in regards to trying to resolve. Did you initially start like the traditional medical route, you know, doctor medication treatment, you know, whatever they prescribe you and then kind of continue to run into a wall. And that is what led you into experimenting with diet or were they happening kind of at the same time? Oh, I've done all the things. Endoscopy, colonoscopy, both ends covered. Um, seen lots of different doctors, tried all sorts of um, medications you, and acid blockers. And did you just oh, say I did both ends covered? Both ends. <laughs> <laughs> I, heard, I was both. like, wait, did I just, okay. <laughs> <laughs> You got to make that joke. You have to make light of all of the um, health experiences you have because it's so horrible, honestly. I mean, I've I've really had a lot of health struggles throughout my life, far more than the average person. And so um, when I talk about these things, I try to just make some jokes. No, but um, it's totally, I, I am here for it. <laughs> I was just like, wait, well, because I've known you for a while and usually you come off pretty like deadpan. You know what I mean? So I was like- is that a treatment or is she slipping in a joke? So I, I appreciate that. My husband would drive the people crazy. He'd like go to pick me up at the endoscopy. He's like, am I at the wrong end? And the, 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 the receptionist would be like, Ugh. just think, they've probably heard this a thousand times. Oh my gosh. Oh, that's great. So anyway. Okay. Um, yeah. So, oh yeah. So I had seen many doctors and things. So, and you know, kind of the, where it ended up was like, well, we, you know, this is probably just something you'll deal with for the rest of your life. And that's something that I talk about on my podcast is like, that is said far too often. And there's not enough. I, th I think doctors are starting to shift more to this, but our, our diet has such a big impact on so many different types of like chronic disease and symptoms. Um, and the thing is like, you can test it yourself. Like, yeah. like you can just like, it's so easy to actually verify for your own body. And it was really strong for me. Um, and the thing about, you know, when I had done carnivore for a couple of months, all these random things like stop being issues. Like an example that I share in my story is I have always had really bad gum bleeding and gum recession. I have major bone loss, particularly for my age. Um, and I went to see the dental hygienist and she measured my gum pockets. And she's like, what are you doing? Like this, the screen was just full of green arrows. And she's like, your, your gums aren't bleeding like they were before. I can literally see the old diseased gum tissue rolling out. And that was like one of the things for carnivores. Like I, I'm very type A. I've always been very meticulous, like brushing at least twice a day, medicated mouthwashes, flossing, like ridiculous about my hygiene. Nothing ever helped my gums. It just, no one really understood it. I've seen so many dentists. And now I know it was some compound in the plants. I suspect it's nightshades, but it doesn't really matter. But so plants in general were bothering my gums for some reason. And I've actually talked to other people where this is the same thing for them. And the thing that I want to also make sure I share about this carnivore experiment is that there's a lot of um, people often 
you know, repeat this idea. Oh, just eat real food. I was a food blogger for 11 years and I began making all of my food from scratch in college. And when I did this carnivore experiment, I already wasn't eating sugar, gluten, like any grains. Like I was already not eating a lot of the things that people commonly say are unhealthy. Literally the only thing that I stopped eating was vegetables. And so it's really fascinating. Like people, you know, oh, maybe it health improvements for something else. Like I was stuffing myself with salads and raw veggies and like drinking all the green juice. A lot of the things that people say are so healthy. And those specifically were some of the biggest problems for me. I do think that grains and sugar are, are problematic contributors because everybody's like grains are inflammatory. Dairy's inflammatory. Um, you know, things like that. And granted, everybody has like different sensitivities depending on what they're eating. But typically, you know, when the whole idea of like eat real food, I found interesting too, because I've had this debate with myself in the sense of, so a lot of people will associate real food as in like that, anything that you make at home from scratch. But a lot of times you have to consider where our from scratch ingredients are coming from, you know, like how processed or refined is this flour or this rice or these type of products. So it's not necessarily, I mean, you're definitely ahead of the game if you're not ordering takeout, you know what I mean? (laughs) It's definitely better. Yeah. That's like way better. And so I'm not knocking it. Everybody's only able to do like what they're have time and capable to do. But, you know, we are a society that are becoming much more ingredient aware. And before it was just kind of like about home cooked food. And honestly, the ingredients that we get today in 2021 at home aren't as pure or less processed or whatever. And I'm talking about like whole ingredients or basic items as they were like back in the 1950s. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like. I always imagine myself traveling back in time (laughs) and eating food from like, you know, long ago. And it just tasting completely different because we don't have like all of these things, additives or experiment or whatever, whatever word you want to put into, but in our food. So, I mean, it's interesting that you say it's an experiment that you can do yourself. Like who, who does it hurt? It's just about having the discipline to do it. Mm. Yeah. And, um, that's been a real journey for me because, you know, when I started doing this carnivore thing, I I obviously didn't really advertise it. It it sounded insane. (laughs) First of all, you think about for me, (laughs) you know, I have actually, before we got on, I was like, I'm going to try this out for a little bit and just see, cause I'm really being Puerto Rican. We're not really big on vegetables. Like our Mm. diet is primarily meat and, um, carbs, you know? Okay. (laughs) Would you say I said smart with the vegetables? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, vegetables are like lettuce, tomato, and avocado. That's literally pretty much the only vegetable that I remember growing up with. We're mostly like rice and beans and some kind of protein. And then a lot of like starchy to like root vegetables and plantains and that sort of thing. So that is the extent of our plants um, that you'll see the most. So I've never been one to eat a lot of vegetables or eat the rainbow or really big into salads because I just didn't grow up that way. And I experimented for a little bit because my concern, most of all, it was the textural of like everything just being meat. 
And it was interesting that once I kind of stuck to it for a while, it wasn't nearly as I didn't miss like the texture of toasted bread, which is really what I was most concerned about as much as I thought Mm. I would. I eventually like reset because we went to a cookout and then like they served me again, like you said, a piece of cake and I tried it. And then it was very interesting how quickly my desire for that food came back. Even though like I had been eating for like, I, I went, I think eating just meat for about almost two weeks. And I was, I mean, after a certain amount of days, I was fine. And then I ate the cake and then I was like, mm. I want more cake. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love, I just want to validate you on everything you just said, because those you're noticing a lot of things going on in your body, um, that are backed up by like understanding how dopamine works in our brain and just the reward system in general. My last episode, um, the topic is how to handle cravings. And I discuss, I discuss a lot of this, but part of how, cause I think one of the things about carnivore that differs from diets like keto or paleo is a lot of people make like comfort food substitutes on those diets. Like, you know, they'll make keto cheesecake or like fathead pizza. Like you're still like when people get cravings, they're still trying to satisfy it with like a substitute, but on carnivore, you're not doing that. So you have to kind of learn how to handle and overcome those cravings. And something that I've learned, like if I choose to deviate from carnivore, okay, first of all, okay. back up. what you said about like the meat gets re- like, it just, it's satisfying. Like that is an actual thing. Meat is, it's astounding. When I first heard this, that like long-term carnivores tend to just eat like meat with salt. And like, you just don't spice things up as much because you just don't care. Like, it's just not, you care less about variety. It's like, oh, that's it not sounds insane. Like, you know, I've, I'm not, I'm yeah, going to be honest. So I'm like, I've, even like my two weeks, I was like throwing a little Montreal. Like I was, I was, you know, yeah. dressing it up with the seasonings and the fats, you know what I mean? Well, and I did in the beginning too, but it, but I found over t- like most of what I eat now is like a really good steak with salt, burger patties with salt. Like I just, it becomes, it's so satisfying. There's something primal about it with humans and meat. Probably the fact that we've been eating primarily fatty meat for millions of years. I, I saw you clean um, off that. We would, <laughs> we did that trip together. Where were we in Kansas? And you cleaned that prime rib bone up. I was like, yeah, like I got Flintstone over here. Like just, <laughs> <laughs> I was the only one who finished that. It tomahawk was or <laughs> you didn't finish it. You cleaned the bone <laughs> and literally no shame. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, I flaunt it now. I make a show of it. Cause I'm like it's the meat. Um, but so anyway, so the thing is, first of all, you, I never could have imagined that I would be so happy and satisfied every day to eat just really the same things every day and just with salt. Um, But the thing that I know, if I choose to deviate from carnivore, let's say for like a planned holiday or thing, I am aware that when I eat something that's highly rewarding and stimulating, it will make, make the meat less enjoyable for a certain amount of time. That's just how it is. And, and, you know, it's not just food, this sort of dopamine idea applies to other 
areas of our life, of our lives. And you can sort of make a, make a generalization that when you do kind of very extraordinary, hyper-stimulating things, it makes it more difficult, literally, to take as much pleasure in lesser, simpler things. And the same is true for food. Well, I mean, it's like an addiction kind of cycle in the sense of, you know, if you were to take a traditional stereotypical addict and then, and you know the story that you start with a little and then it gets to the point where you build up a tolerance or you're just chasing that initial taste. But then also at the same time, there has been times where if I've been off of sugar for a long enough amount of time, when I do go back to it, it's like, it's too much. And I, and I get like overstimulated by it almost for me, I'm definitely a textual person. Like I'm, I am always looking for that perfect crunch. (laughs) You'll get me more Mm. with crunch than you'll get me with anything. That's like that's sweet. I prefer the salty items. Yeah, I get that. I mean, and and the thing too is that first of all, I have an episode on food addiction. Food addiction is real. A lot, I think before I'd hear terms like, you know, sugar addiction, carb addiction, I'd sort of like roll my eyes like, oh, come on. But it's literally a real phenomenon that has been shown in MRI scans of the brain. And it's something that I've definitely like, oh, okay. Like you, you start reading like how it's actually defined. I forgot the name of the, um, manual, uh, it's, it's linked in my website, but like, I'm looking at like these 10 sort of definitions of addiction. I'm like, oh, you're like, like, check, 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 (laughs) crap. (laughs) Yeah. Like for sugar, like I was just like holy moly. Like that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It is addictive. Um, for me, the, I like one of the biggest ones that I think of is like Doritos. It <laughs> For mm-hmm. me, it's, you know, the perf- that perfect crunch and it's salty and it has like all these, especially ranch Doritos. They're like, they're, I don't keep them in the house because yes. I can't just eat a few. You know yeah. what I mean? Next thing I know I've eaten the entire party size bag by myself. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> Well, you know what too drives me crazy is like, there's sort of this, or at least this is how I did it for myself. We almost act like it's our fault that we can't control ourselves with these foods, but literally like billions of dollars are spent overall to make an engineer. Yeah. Yeah. Like literally they are actually addictive. There's a reason why we cannot naturally control ourselves around these foods. They're, they're extremely stimulating. They kind of hijack our system and there's no like satiety feedback from our bodies. And the thing that is so incredible about meat is that combination of fat and protein, like the sense of satiety that we get um, from food is actually detected from that combination of fat and protein in the gut. Like no one, like think about the last time you overate steak, like you just, or like tried, had to control yourself around like, I don't know, that ribeye or like it just, it, it, it's, it's kind of like water. I talk about, I talk about this as well. Like when you're thirsty, you drink water. This is an example from Dr. Robert Siwes, by the way, he's awesome. He's great YouTube videos, but he talks about how with water, um, you don't need to like measure out in advance, like what, how much water you need, like you drink it, drink. And then when you're not thirsty, (laughs) you You just just drink it and you're not thirsty, you're satisfied, you move on. And it's really interesting because during those two weeks that I was doing mostly carnivore, um, I wasn't as 
now, now I've been really busy, so I don't know if that has, uh, you know, I've been editing podcasts and cause as of this recording, I literally just launched the first two episodes. So, you know, I've been a little bit busy, but I didn't get like snacky. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I would, and I wasn't. Oh, absolutely. I wouldn't hit like a sudden hunger all of a sudden either. I'd just be like, oh, I should go eat. And then I would, I threw a steak in the air fryer, which actually when you're by yourself, it's very easy. <laughs> it's like a lot easier <laughs> yeah, than, especially because I spent a lot of time by myself when my husband travels and then I don't want to make myself an entire dinner. And then I also don't want to order mm. takeout. So throwing a steak in the air fryer has been actually pretty liberating in that sense. Oh my gosh. I, I got to tell you, I know, I know you'll understand, but, um, not having to like chop or peel or like do any of that stuff as a former chef did a lot of prep cooking, food blogging does a lot of, it is, I mean, I do kind of miss the process sometimes because just zoning out and prepping is fun, but it's fun when I want to do it. It's not fun when I have to do it all the time in order to make dinner. Yep. (laughs) Agreed. <laughs> so when it's my choice, yeah. yeah, I think it's a lot of fun when it's because <laughs> other people depend on me feeding them and it's, it becomes a daily chore. It's not, it's not as fun, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let me ask you, you know, you shared about how you stumbled into it and the health benefits that you saw from it, but most of our listeners are women. And of course, like the carnivore diet is an easy sell to dudes. Honestly, my husband's like, (laughs) yes, bring it on. We ordered half a cow. He's fine to just eat from that half a cow for the rest until it's gone. You know what I mean? But women in general tend to have some misconceptions about the carnivore diet. What are some common misconceptions that you think that you hear and that maybe you would want to push back on a little bit? Well, carnivore is just a big bundle of misconceptions. (laughs) (laughs) It's interesting, the woman angle, because that's something that I'm really passionate about and maybe, and trying to hone a little bit, but women are so afraid of meat. And frankly, nothing makes you more ladylike than meat. Um, In terms of carnivore has been very effective for a lot of um, kind of female cycle and fertility issues. Um, PCS is, is an example, something that I've been diagnosed with since I was 17. Um, and there's other fertility issues as well that people are able to put into remission with carnivore. I know for me, carnivore is the first time I've ever had regular cycles in my life and far less um, painful. Like I used to be bedridden for at least the first day or two of my cycle, just agony. Um, and my periods have gotten lighter. Everything has improved. And that's something, like I said, that women tend to experience across the board from something like carnivore. It also, I am the the smallest, like the, the leanest, I guess I should say, um, the least amount of fat that I've ever had, like in my adult life on this diet. And it's crazy because I've been dieting since like middle school. Well, and I think that is just a side effect of being a woman. You know what I mean? Like we all go through, unfortunately, we all go through these cycles of some form of dieting in our lives. (laughs) Yes. Well, so it's amazing. Like I, there were times when I would eat 1200 calories a day 
it like I really like really um, restrictive. Yeah, very meticulous about counting. Like I said, the type A type <laughs> type you A. You say it like it's some kind um, of weird like confession. <laughs> <laughs> well, right. so it's just crazy to me how now I'm eating so many more calories than I've ever eaten in my life. So much fat and saturated fat, which the whole fat thing is just a bunch of lies, which I talk about my podcast too. But um, I'm the leanest I've ever been, the fittest I've ever been. Like I, the curve, like I, I've never looked this good. Please, Joanne, calm down. Have some humility. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know what? I am worked up about this because (laughs) I have been, gosh, just putting myself through so many diets and restriction and things my whole life. And I think so many women can relate to this and it was just so misguided. And it's like the salads and the vegetables made me so bloated and were causing me so many health problems. Um, Like it's very clear in retrospect, like the whole fiber thing. Um, I used to take supplemental fiber because that's what people's, oh yes, we need more fiber. No, we actually don't. (laughs) Um, And a lot of people, um, like one of the biggest things that people notice when they go carnivore is within a few days, your gas is gone. And that's from a lot of these like kale salads and things we're stuffing ourselves with. Yeah. The really cruciferous vegetables, especially can create a lot of, uh, gassiness, uh, Brussels sprouts, kale, you know, the ones that are in my garden, the bugs like to eat, which are very annoying. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah. So, and the thing too, this is another huge misconception about carnivore is people just look at meat as like, oh, it's just like some fat and protein. It is extremely nutrient dense food, far more nutrient dense than any plant out there. And the thing, like I just talked about this on my um, Instagram account, but like as an example, people think, oh, spinach, it's such a great source of iron. You absorb 2% of the iron and spinach. It's a non-heme form. And there are a lot of anti-nutrients in them. Um, oxalates are, are an example that bind with a lot of these minerals and prevent you from absorbing them. Um, so, I mean, like it's similar for a lot of other vegetables like kale and things like even like carrots are, are an example, like vitamin A people are like, Oh, there's so much vitamin A. Like you, you convert 3% of plant vitamin A at best, like to the, to like what you can actually use. And it's like, and all of these nutrients, all of these vitamins that you're mentioning, they're in meat. Oh my gosh. And in way higher quantities. Like, I think the, one of the like most common responses I get when people find out I'm a carnivore is like, Oh, what about antioxidants and vitamins and minerals? And that's so dangerous. You need vegetables. And it's like, no, I get all those things just from meat. And I actually get far higher quantities of those things by not eating plants because I don't have these anti-nutrients blocking absorption of those things. And something that has been another, gosh, I I have so many (laughs) health changes from carnivore, but I've been anemic for most of my life. Well, And that makes sense because you would think that there's a ton of iron in meat. You know what I mean? Like it's an animal. It has blood and everything in it. You know what I mean? It would make a lot more sense that you'd probably get iron from meat than vegetables and that, and a lack of iron is what causes anemia. So, well, and the other thing too, is, you know, I've eaten a lot of meat my whole life, but if you eat 
let's say like meat with a bunch of spinach, the oxalates in that spinach are going to bind with some of that iron and those minerals. There's an example in a book that I love. It's actually um, an MD named Paul Saladino. He's actually why I went carnivore. It's his video I saw. I read his book called The Carnivore Code, and he gives an example of the fact that oysters are the most um, zinc rich food in the world. And when you eat them with black bean, black bean, it was black beans and I think corn tortillas, but like for one of them, I'm going to botch the exact percentage, but one of them, like you only absorb like 15% of the zinc in the oysters. And then the other, like you absorb zero, like none of it. So like you have this really, um, zinc rich food, but if you combine it with something else, you actually don't absorb it. Interesting. Which is something that, I mean, I've never heard that you assume that if you consume it, you absorb it. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like that would be my assumption. If I consume it, I absorb it. I have never been informed or, or even looked into how foods maybe interact with each other. So, but to go back a little bit, yeah. cause you were talking about diet and restriction and then at a time that you were at like 1200 calories and it was restrictive, people are probably hearing this and thinking, well, isn't like carnivore pretty restrictive. So isn't this just like another example mm. of a restrictive diet? You know what I mean? Like, you know, that's probably something that you've been asked and heard. What is usually, what would be your response to someone that says, well, this is just another restrictive diet. Mm, yes. Thank you for asking this question <laughs> because this is another thing that bugs me. So I guess a few things here. The first is that it seems really restrictive for the time we live in, but even 150 years ago, most of what humans ate was primarily animal foods. And there are plenty of places around the world right now where a lot of groups of people still eat this way. They're eating mostly meats and dairy and animal products. Um, And then if you go back even further, like for literally for millions of years, we've been eating primarily fatty meat and nothing else. Um, Vegetables or plants were like basically survival scarcity type foods. And there were a lot of humans that died testing out like which plants were poisonous. And which I always had that thought. I'm like, who decided to put this in their mouth and be like, let me see if this tastes good <laughs> and if I will live. <laughs> yeah. But so I think this took me a while to sort through in my brain because I realized that Like, for example, snacking was invented in the 1950s. It wasn't a thing before Mm -hmm. then. And what's interesting is a lot of the products that came out at the time, literally on the package would have to like quell people's fears about snacking and getting fat. It just wasn't something that people did. But for as long as I've been alive, it's been normal to like (laughs) eat every two hours. Like everything revolves around food, but like, when you look back in a different time frame like this this is extremely new behavior and like new ways of eating well and it's interesting cuz if you look back and you think about when did this start it started with the mass manufacturing of food specifically after world war 2 where a lot of this food was packaged and manufactured and preserved for the GIs to send overseas so they could 
eat, which was important for them. But then all of these companies, a lot of them that had come up with these new ideas of how to have shelf-stable food and how to can and how to ship and everything like that had to repurpose what they were doing because we were no longer at war and start to sell to the general public, which we had also kind of been introduced to that already because of the war and, you know, the women that were home and they were seeing it and they were, you know, now using it. And that is kind of the jumping off point that I see where it really started to rev up of like the mass production of food that has a lot of preservatives and has all of this, you know, extra um, treatment to it, should I say? <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing is like, you realize that nearly all of the food around us is just different iterations of the same hyper palatable, addictive crap. Yeah. And there's one book that um, I've read that um, it's by Joanna Blythman. But so she talks about how there's a chapter called why it all tastes the same and talking about processed foods. And like, there's a formula for how these things are stimulating in terms of like texture and like contrasting, like the salty sweet and all that, like so much of what we're surrounded by, like, even though it seems like there's tons of different kinds of foods, like it's kind of like the same processed hyper palatable crap. It's not real food that people were eating 150 years ago. And so I think the restriction thing, I've really thought a lot about that because I, it's, it's such a valid thing that I had trouble with at first. It's like, I'm not eating like nearly all the foods out there, but I think like I, what we just talked about, that was a piece first of all. But I think the second piece is I thought freedom in food was just eating whatever the heck I wanted. That to me was food freedom. And I realized that just eating like meats and animal foods gives me far more freedom because it frees me from all of the chronic health issues that I suffered from for most of my life. And the thing is like, it's really been interesting because freedom's always been one of my biggest values. And I'm seeing how sometimes we think that, like I said, that freedom is just doing whatever we want. And I think that's actually not true. And I think that is a common misconception. Like everybody thinks that, I mean, I have the same view because people will think freedom is free spirited. You do whatever you want. There's no rules. Um, and, and I think that we as human beings need to have certain parameters and then within those parameters choose, you know, what is best for us. Because ultimately, if we have mm -hmm. nothing, if we have no freedoms, I'm sorry, if we have no um, parameters, no boundaries or anything, and then everybody's literally out there losing their mind, that essentially is chaos, which then leads to people encroaching on other people's abilities and freedoms. And then you can't really have that freedom to pursue happiness, to have a business, to raise your children. You know what I mean? Like there has... there a lot of people have a misunderstanding that if there are rules that you aren't free. And I know it sounds like as it's coming out of my mouth, like it sounds counterintuitive, but you have to kind of, you know what I mean? <laughs> it's a deep yeah, topic. It's, you know, there's a lot of nuance mm -hmm, to it for sure. And I can kind of see, yeah. you know, even in regards to this diet, like you said, you know, your freedom 
you're free from the health, con- you know, concerns that you had or the health setbacks that you've had over this time. And I think about, you know, during those two weeks that I was doing it, which honestly I've been, if I hadn't been for that piece of cake, that kind of threw me off in a slice of pizza. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it's hard it's not to reset, but during those times, during those two weeks, it was really freeing that I didn't have to worry about my grocery. It was like another thing off my list. I didn't have to worry about my grocery yeah. list. I didn't have to worry about, you know, spending hours chopping. Um, I just had to defrost it, season it and throw it in the air fryer and eat it. It was, it's so yeah, simple. It's really simple. Yep. And so, you know, with, with that little bit of restriction that someone might categorize it as, I also had all of this benefit from it of free time. Um, also a certain amount of security too, because we have a, we have a local farmer that we source our proteins from and we have a freezer full of meat. So because we're supplied, I don't have to go to the grocery store like for months if I don't want to, you know what I mean? Unless like I want a diet Coke or something like that, but, um, and that's an addiction that I probably (laughs) need to deal with. Mm. But yeah, in that sense, it was definitely, it's, it's been more freeing. Yeah. And it's not, I mean, there's even more freedoms, like the, the mental, um, mental, emotional struggle struggles that I've had. Like there's so much freedom that I've gotten in that area from doing this as well. I think, you know, at first glance, something like carnivore can seem really restrictive and absolutely it is in some ways, but it has been a pleasant surprise to see on net how much more freedom it's given me overall. And I, I totally choose this. Like I, I think before with a lot of diets, there used to be a lot of sense of like rebelliousness, like, Oh, I have to do this, but this I'm so clear I'm totally allowed to eat cake and pizza every day for the rest of my life. If I want to, I don't want to, because this gives me incredible health day to day. And ultimately this is so much better. My life is so much better. And I never thought every time I say that it's, it's kind of jarring because my food was just completely Oh, sorry. My life was completely about food for most of my life. It was my career. It was my like emotional attachment and answer to stress yeah. and boredom. Mm-hmm. And it, it was just everything. And this is yeah. better. So let me ask you, <laughs> you're just, you're like, this is just better. And I, of course, you know, the interesting one that a lot of people, cause right now I think like I have this a view that meat in general or protein-based food is kind of under attack. A lot Mm -hmm. of times it's villainized in regards, in a lot of aspects, diet, you see a lot of push from media where they're promoting plant-based. You see a lot more plant-based products coming into the supermarkets and stuff. And then I hate to politicize this because it does become, but unfortunately food has become a political issue you know, it's making its way into legislation and especially in regards to the environment. And a lot of people have concern or will say that meat is bad for the environment. And it's not necessarily that simple. Um, If someone has a concern in regards to meat being bad for the environment, what would your response be to them? 
Like if they're saying like you're killing the planet by all of these, with all of these cows that you're eating, what would you say to them? I would say that that's misguided and inaccurate. Um, So this is, I love this topic because what's interesting about when I talk to people about carnivore is like, they'll be sold on the health aspect and just various angles of it. But the, but the hangup will be, oh, but I can't do this because it's bad for the environment. And when I, you know, when, when carnivore had the positive impact that it did on my health, I spent three months for my own integrity, really researching and digging into the environmental angle of meat, because I really wanted to find out all of these things that, you know, I believe too, you hear it everywhere. So, I mean, I just, I never questioned it. I was like, okay, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you hear it enough and you hear enough campaigns about it and it's all, you know, you just kind of become conditioned into, it's like a subconscious message, you know, and it gets into you and you, and you assume it to be true and you don't, and that's, I think a lot of us are experiencing that nowadays where we're constantly hearing a certain message that a long time we assumed to be true. And now we're discovering that there is a little bit more nuance a lot of times to that messaging. Yeah. So I, it's episode 10 of my podcast. I looked at every single um, criticism that I he, that I hear about meat or could find about meat as it relates to the environment and address why it's inaccurate. Um, and the thing is, like, I will just say point blank right now, there is an environmental impact, probably generalizing to meat. Um, It's a little bit confusing because there are like a lot of um, cattle farms or pastures where they are operating as a net uh, carbon sink. So like, it's very, how do I put this? You can't make anything about the environmental uh, discussion like black and white, I think a lot of people try to, like there there are environmental impacts of everything that we do. But what I'm saying is that I think that people act like meat is bad for the environment, plants are fine. And that's just not true. Plants have a great environmental impact as well. And just to start going through some of the things that um, like I, I found were inaccurate about meat, like one of the first things is like, oh, cows use so much water, but that, which is true. It is absolutely yeah, true. They but have first of all, <laughs> yeah, like 96% of the water that they're using is green water. It's rainwater that would be there regardless of whether they're, they're there or not. And the other thing is like, do we think the water disappears? Like, no, they pee it back onto the land and, and they actually turn it into something that's far more nutritious, nutritious for the land, which is urine. Like it has nutrients for um, like the grasses and things. Well, and I think a lot of times, cause we've been to several farms and we have seen how cattle is raised and a lot of time. And then of course, if it's commercial cattle, they, every cow starts off grass fed and then eventually move over to a feedlot. So if you're buying commercial, they do end up in a feedlot. And a lot of people will have this image of it's like hundreds and hundreds of cows that are condensed into a spot and they're trampling everything, they're eating everything up, and then they're peeing everything out in a mist. Like, do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Like, they have the idea of the feedlot is what they're doing the entire time. And they don't really understand that mm-hmm. 
there is a set amount of cattle that goes on a giant plot of land and they actually provide nutrients to that land. And a lot of times I think when we were out in Kansas, uh, Debbie, the farmer that uh, gave us a tour, she talked about native prairie land versus land that um, had been tilled and uh, treated and how they were trying to get back to the native prairie land and that the use of the cows to help get the, to rehabilitate that land is very important because they graze it, they get rid of stuff, then they process it out, they feed it back in and it's all like this cycle. So I think a lot of that you know, and there's a lot of other information out there, but a lot of it is due to a misunderstanding of exactly how cattle is raised. Yeah. And to to touch on that, like restoring the land, a lot of monocrop agriculture has, is it, I think it's pronounced desertified. <laughs> <laughs> they basically destroyed like all the nutrients in, in the soil is gone. And there was um, Maria Helena Semedo. She estimated that if like, degradation continues at the rate it's been going at all of the world's topsoil will be gone in 60 years or something like that. You have to, it's on my podcast and the exact, like, don't quote me, but go listen to my podcast. You'll get the correct information. <laughs> yes. Um, we know stuff, but, but we like, can't remember everything. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I need to remember the exact number. Um, but so there's a lot of cases where plant agriculture is very destructive to the environment. Like another big issue is the hypoxic dead zones in various forms of water around the world. Um, and like, even like another thing that people really harp on cows specifically about is the methane thing. First of all, there are a lot of different types of plants that also produce methane. And the thing about the methane with the cows is there's a natural carbon cycle where they are cycling existing molecules back and forth. It's about a 12 year cycle. Whereas most of the methane and greenhouse gases in general are being taken out from the earth, like via these fossil fuels and like energy and things and being released. That's new methane, new carbon. Um, so there's just, there's nuance there. Like, yes, methane and cows is a thing, but it, it's not the same as when we're like burning new fossil fuels from the earth. Whereas literally the same molecules are being cycled back and forth with the cattle. And like, even one of the things that really stuck out to me is a lot of these old incorrect statistics are still being um, repeated, like for example, there was, I think it's called livestock's long shadow, but the authors had claimed that something like 18% of the total greenhouse gases was from cows. But like someone pointed out that the, it wasn't an accurate comparison. Like they, it wasn't, um, a total life cycle analysis for both like the cows and like the transportation and industry and all that. And they came out and figured out that it's actually 2% that's specifically from beef. And the like most of it is from industry and like fossil fuel and stuff. Um, and the 2%, like I talk about how some people will still say, like, oh, we still need to get rid of that 2%, but you have to replace it with something like that's food and like nutrients. It's one of the most nutrient dense. Yeah. You can't just 
take out a giant source of, of nutrients, of food, of sustainability. You know what I mean? Um, and then yeah. it just, it seems lately that their solution to that is to replace it with processed food that is plant-based. And I just, right. I don't understand the logic there is how, first of all, how that's better for you as in regards to health as an individual, but also if you think about it, is it really better when you compare it uh, to the industry or to raising cattle? Because in order to process that food, you still have to have a facility that has to run on energy, that has to employ people who then have to travel over there and, you know, get to their, do you understand that it's not just about, and I think that's one of my biggest issues and I think is a general misunderstanding is when you question things that you don't care about the environment. And it's like, no, I care about the environment. I absolutely care about the mm -hmm. environment. I enjoy the outdoors. I want the outdoors to be there all the time. But we have a tendency to boil down certain arguments and simplify them in order to make them palatable and easy to process because we're all gaining and in receiving information in bites. Now we no longer receive information yeah. in long form, very rare. And I think it's one of the reasons that you're starting to see long form, you know, interviews and things like this pick up steam because people are now starting to have a little bit more interest in being more informed as opposed to being fed bites. And it's just this general idea that it is a one solution will fix all instead of kind of, it's just not that simple, you know, and even in regards mm -hmm. to energy, if we were really so concerned about not using fossil fuels and everybody's like windmills and solar, well, there's also, and we, this is probably going to trigger some people or whatever, but there's nuclear power that maybe we could discuss, you know, it's no longer mm -hmm. as unstable or as difficult or as dangerous as it was. And everybody's was the reason for a good reason we're scared of, but it's just the idea of this is the solution. This is the answer to our problem. And it's the only thing that you hear uh, being shared out in news and media. Right. There's a great book. One of my favorite books I've ever read called Sacred Cow by Diana Rogers and Rob Wolf. And they talk about this study that was in Japan where they found that greater environmental impacts were in households that were eating more like sugar and processed foods and dining out compared to meat eaters. And I think like something for me, like I, the rule of thumb for carnivores is that you eat about a pound and a half of um, meat per day. It varies obviously a little bit, but like I have so much less waste eating like this than oh, before. For sure. You don't have as many as much packaging as trash or any. I mean, it makes sense. You know, <laughs> I just get like a package of ground beef or like a steak, a few steaks, or yeah. And and like I said, there's so there's so much environmental impact and cost from plants. Like this whole notion that like I said, plants are fine for the environment and that beef, like beef or meat is horrible. It's just, it's just not true. And I, like I said, I like to concede that even though a lot of, um, cattle ranches are carbon negative, And I think that the animals are really important for the land, like in terms of, um, grazing and nourishing it with the urine and the nutrients, I can't say definitively that they, that they don't have an impact. They probably do, but like everything does. 
but like, let's compare, let's compare like it, them relative to each other. And let's be honest about the fact that a lot of plant foods and especially processed foods have great environmental impacts as For well. Sure. So we're at the end and I want to make sure that I kind of wrap this up. Is there anything in regards to meat? And I'm just talking about the entire meat umbrella that you feel is not being talked about that maybe some people would be interested to know or look into? I would say the, the most important answer to that is just the general idea that meat is the healthiest food a human can eat. And I think right now people, a lot of people think, think it's unhealthy and it's just mind blowing because there, there is a, um, like kind of like a hashtag and repeated thing that meat heals and it's kind of corny, but it really does. It is unbelievable. Like how many types of like chronic disease and disorders and just health issues that a meat heavy diet can put into remission, like diabetes and autoimmune disorders, just everything under the sun. It seems like there are examples where a meat heavy diet, even if it's something like ketovore or just carnivore specifically carnivore ish meat is so important for our health, for our human physiology. And uh, it, it's just so important that we eat more of it because our health is really important. So if someone was to be like, okay, maybe I'm going to try this out. Like Joanne sold me. She's a good, she's a good sales lady, but they're a little nervous about going into it. And sometimes I think like cold turkey's hard. How would you tell someone like, do, would you tell them you got to go to cold turkey, cut everything out, throw out all your bread, throw out everything, eat meat, or would you maybe present them with a strategy of like how to ease into it? Like, what is your recommendation of someone who is willing to try this out, but literally has had no experience and has the traditional perceptions and mindset that we've had for a long time? I literally just did an episode on this called how to transition to carnivore. And the answer is both of those things. It's going to depend on your personality. Um, I sort of discuss the pros and cons of jumping right in versus easing into it. And it's really going to depend on your personality, what your starting point is. Um, and I think if you're thinking about doing this, you need to learn a little bit of the science and arguments for it. Um, and that's really why I created my podcast. They are pretty short, like 15 minute kind of synthesis episodes looking at various angles of health and why carnivore is compelling for that. Um, and I really like this podcast. I have no plans to ever monetize it. There's no advertising. Like I really just want to help people figure out is this something that you might want to look into and try and why you would do that, how you would do it? Um, it's all about supporting people in doing that. So I would invite you to listen to my podcast, The Road to Carnivore. Um, like I said, it's pretty minimal time investment, um, very short episodes, and you can get a good idea of how to do it and why to do it um, on awesome. there. Well, that's like a perfect wrap up. You just kind of... <laughs> 
put a little bow on the end of that. So thanks so much for coming and hanging out with us and kind of teaching us a little bit more about carnivore and the misconceptions on meat. If anybody wants to follow Joanne, I highly recommend that you give her a follow. I've seen you pop up on Instagram recently. So you're at road to carnivore. Is that correct? The road to carnivore, the road to carnivore. And of course I will have links to her Instagram and her podcast in the show notes below. Thanks for having me. This is fun. Yeah, this was fun. Thanks so much for listening to It's Miss Sadie, honest conversations for freedom-minded women. You can find the show notes for this episode at itsmissadie.com. And if you would like to have conversations like this with other freedom-minded women, visit my website, libertasisters.com, an online community of women founded on the values of femininity, self-reliance, and freedom. You can also connect with me on Instagram at itsmissadie or join my email list. And if you're loving the podcast, I would be so honored if you would go ahead and hit that subscribe button and leave me a five-star review. Until next time, stay free and stay honest.